This is The Guardian. Today, why is the government so keen to set off Channel 4? Growing up as a suburban British kid in a nowhere town in the 90s, I'd say that Channel 4 played a key part in my education. It was the first stop for finding high art and high trash in the same place, arguably in a single episode of The Word watched late at night with my sister, desperately trying to tape all the good bits that we now nostalgically scour YouTube for. Yes, this is the word, the music and entertainment show created to bridge the gap between infancy and adultery. We've got a nice... I couldn't have put my finger on it then. But Channel 4 was a station that mattered because it wasn't so straight-laced. It was relatable. And it had my early broadcast hero, Zaina Badawi, on primetime telly. Good evening. Is it stalemate being talked up as progress, or has there been a real breakthrough in the Palestinian-Israeli peace talks in Cairo? It formed my cultural tastes. It's where I found art house cinema and Bollywood films to watch with my parents. And it's where I still flick to to find a show that will make me cackle out loud. I've shared enough rice with you, Mark. I'm in the big league now. Four none, Jeremy. Four. That's insane. And I'm not alone. Where would we be without Peep Show? Or Black Mirror? Or This Is England? The thing with Channel 4 is there's always one show that you can point to that wouldn't necessarily have been commissioned anywhere else. The Guardian's media editor, Jim Waterson, has been covering the government's push to privatise Channel 4. So you've seen the writers of It's a Sin go, we wouldn't have got this made anywhere else. You've seen skins from the 2000s say, everywhere else wasn't up for this. The criticism is, the things that people really tune in for are when it puts Bake Off on, when it puts Gogglebox on, and when it puts on more grand designs. Critics say Channel 4's best years are behind it and that the whole endeavour needs a makeover. But what would we lose in the process? From The Guardian, I'm Noshi Iqbal. Today in Focus, who gets to decide the future of Channel 4? So obviously, I have all these very fond associations of Channel 4. Is it being the channel to watch when I was growing up if I wanted to see something interesting or arty or just actually funny television. But Jim, if I were to turn on the TV now and tune into Channel 4, what am I likely to see? If you watch Channel 4 on any given day, you'd see a lot of different things. Today I'm house hunting along the stunning coastline of the Western Algarve in Portugal. So you'll see a lot of prime time things that are property renovation shows. I bought this property at auction for £177,500. Or you'll see quite popular entertainment programmes. On to dessert. Let them eat cake and butter pudding. I like cake and I like bread pudding, so if you put them together, that's a winning dish for me. And then you'll also see Channel 4 News. There's an hour of primetime solid news that goes to areas that other people don't necessarily go with TV news. Good evening. 
but then you'll also see Naked Attraction, where a load of people get their willies out on telly. Mark, we've not heard too much from you. What do you think about Tracy's body? Gorgeous. I like a bum. Big, beautiful eyes. Oh. Nice smile. What do you think about the lady bits? So you've got a sort of odd mix of things and then late at night you might see some experimental commission that they've put out in a slightly odd slot. It has a very broad range of things that it's doing and the question is, if it was privatised, would it keep doing as much of that or would it focus more on the commercial stuff? Well, Jim, earlier in the year you spoke to the podcast about the history of the BBC but the story of Channel 4 is very different and much more recent, isn't it? Can you tell us about where it came from and what it was set up to do? Growing up, I am just about old enough to remember when there still were only four television channels in the UK mm. on terrestrial TV. And you had BBC, which was this big monolith. You had ITV, which was the sort of home of light entertainment chasing ratings. And then you had Channel 4, which did the weird stuff. It did the alternative stuff. Good evening. The government warned today that it would look into ways of increasing the powers of commercial television's watchdog as the row over Channel 4's controversial spoof programme on paedophiles, Brass Eye, continued to rage. And that's partly because it is set up in a very odd way. Now, most people probably turn on Channel 4 and go, well, it's full of adverts, it must be for profit. And it is run on a commercial basis, but weirdly it's owned by the government. What you have with Channel 4 is weirdly a creation of Margaret Thatcher's idea of small businesses making a load of money. This is Channel 4, the new national television service broadcasting through the transmitters of the Independent Broadcasting Authority. Channel 4 starts today at 4.45, offering a variety of new and interesting programmes seven days a week. So she set up the whole channel to essentially break the duopoly of... BBC and ITV on making programmes and say, look, we're going to have this new broadcaster and the one rule must be it's going to have to make all of its programmes by going out to commercial companies and buying them in. Now our first programme, Countdown. So Channel 4 doesn't make its own shows. It can't make its own shows and it has to go and commission everything from small companies and it has a specific remit to do things differently and be quirky and be diverse. And that is a legally mandated remit. So it's a very odd thing. It's owned by the state. It's there to support private businesses. And it has a mandate to do things differently. Hello. Hello, good evening. And as the countdown to a brand new channel ends, a brand new countdown begins. This countdown is a quiz game that all of you can play at home. And if you're good so figures, in the spirit of free market competition... It was Thatcher's government that set up this channel, which was publicly owned but not publicly funded. Can you explain how that works? It means it's got to wash its own face. It's got to make money to survive, but if it makes money, it has to go back into programming. So it's a bit like running a not-for-profit. It charges for its services in the sense that it provides access for advertisers to reach audiences, but that rather than going, well, we've made a 20% profit margin, that can go off to our US owner and they can pay it to their shareholders they can happily make a much smaller margin and just make sure that they're sustainable for the long term. So rather than having to placate a Rupert Murdoch-type character who wants to get more and more money out and just wants Bake Off 24-7 on the channel, they can do that balance of things that bring in the viewers and things that are a bit riskier. And in those first few decades, it was, I feel, so uniquely British. It was experimental, it was innovative, it was weird. You know, it had uh, Brass Eye alongside Eurotrash, alongside Desmond's. 
your mention of Eurotrash has just got every single mid-30s person just smirking with the memory of staying up late to watch Channel 4 and hoping that they weren't caught. You might see some boobs. <laughs> and that was, that was genuinely part of the Channel 4 appeal for, at that point. Before we begin, would you mind taking a look at my asparagus? Pardon? Now, almost since it started, it has A, angered governments, and B, been at threat of privatisation. In 1989, there was a look at it. In 1996, there was a go. Almost every decade, someone has a really good attempt at privatising Channel 4 and goes, why on earth does the government own this? And basically, every single time, the answer keeps coming back, it's more hassle than it's worth, and if it ain't broke, don't fix it. The government's argument this time around is, it still ain't broke, but we're pretty sure it will be soon. And everyone else in the media industry is going, no, I think it's fine. I think it's fine. I reckon they can get through this fine. But the government is going, no, we are confident that Channel 4 really will be broken in five years' time, so now is the time to get out and give it to someone else who can help it grow. So I would argue that to say that just because Channel 4 has been established as a public service broadcaster and just because it's in receipt of public money, we should never kind of audit the future of Channel 4 and we should never evaluate how Channel 4 looks in the future and whether or not it's a sustainable and viable model. It's quite right that the government should do that. Well, five months ago, Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries unintentionally revealed in an argument that she was making in Parliament for Channel 4's privatisation that actually she had no clue how it was funded and she claimed that the channel was in receipt of public money. And despite being told it wasn't, she has continued to push this agenda. But, but Channel 4's not like the BBC. Uh, it, it, it's not in receipt of licence fee money. It, no. it, it makes its money from commercial operations. And so... Although it's, yeah, and... Can you tell me a bit more about her recent announcement, how it was made, where it came from? The weirdest thing about this announcement, aside from the fact that no one's entirely sure why they'd bother, is that there was a lot of rumblings that they weren't going to bother, that there's a general election two years away and that it's time to just sort of focus on the things that the government really wants to get done. There's so many reforms that they could be doing and yet they've chosen that this is the battle that they want to fight. So the announcement in the end was slightly surprising because I'd heard that there was debates about whether to prioritise this or other legislation, and it went quite up to the wire. And then they've gone for it. Late last night, the Culture Secretary Nadine Dorries announced she was putting Channel 4 up for sale because public ownership was stopping it compete against streaming giants like Netflix and Amazon. What, what was announced is the government's decided after running a consultation, which they still haven't published, which got a lot of responses, which we assume were all anti-privatisation, or at least mainly, that they have decided that the only route ahead is privatisation. And the weirdest thing about the whole announcement was it praised Channel 4 to the hilt. Right. It said Channel 4 is doing brilliantly, Channel 4 is financially stable, and Channel 4 is doing interesting stuff. With a massive but that the government believes this won't be sustainable. So it's a strange one because the government keeps praising Channel 4. They keep praising it for investing in the regions and they keep saying it's doing distinctive things while at the same time saying, and if we want to sustain that, it must be sold off. In the last few years, this government has taken a pretty aggressive approach. Do you think that's fair to say? And if so, why is it so obsessed? It's really strange. There's a few key characters in this. There's Andrew Griffith, 
who's an MP, who's a former Sky executive, who's now running the Number 10 Policy Unit. He was a key early backer of Boris Johnson and he lent his multi-million pound London townhouse to be Boris Johnson's campaign HQ back in 2019. And he is very keen on privatising Channel 4. There's also a guy called John Whittingdale, who used to be a culture minister. He has been thinking that Channel 4 should be privatised since the 90s. And when he lost his job last autumn, everyone sort of assumed that maybe they'd just kick it into the long grass. And then there is the more conspiratorial element. It's the idea that Channel 4 is just annoying. Channel 4 is the place that, through its commissioning of diversity, through Channel 4 News, really annoys the government. We kept the invitations open to the leaders of the Conservative Party and the Brexit Party. They have not taken up their places yet. So you have them replacing Boris Johnson with an ice sculpture that melts during a climate change debate. Instead, a reminder, the ice caps are melting as politicians around the globe fail to cut greenhouse gas emissions in time to stop rising temperatures. You have the former head of news and current affairs, Dorothy Byrne, comparing him to Vladimir Putin and saying he's a liar. What do we do when a known liar becomes our prime minister? I've talked to journalists from several news organisations about this issue. You have these sort of cumulative sense that it is the home of anti-Brexit sentiment in British television. It has been the most extraordinary day, a day which has seen... I, I've never seen so many white people in one place. Which annoys a small number of people at the top of the government. But I would put it in the context that there has been a long-standing Tory move to privatise it. So maybe if that is the case, it's probably the thing that pushed it over the edge rather than the sole reason. One of the things the Prime Minister said today in the House of Commons that was basically untrue and clearly untrue was his allegation that Keir Starmer was responsible for not prosecuting Jimmy Savile. And just as a reminder of what that annoyance looks like, can you tell me about Nadine Doris's own recent appearance on Channel 4? Yeah, and she had her own slightly unusual interview in the House of Commons at height of the Partygate scandal that went viral where, I mean, she looked a, a little bit like she'd had a, a tiring day while trying to defend the Prime Minister. Well, it, it is, what, you're saying that Keir Starmer was responsible I for don't not know, I don't know the details. Well, that's what the Prime Minister said. Well, I don't, you haven't he your shouldn't word have said it, should he? Well, I think there are lots of things that Keir Starmer shouldn't have said. Well, there are clearly things that he said that aren't the true. Prime Minister now, whether, he would, the whether they were deliberate lies or not has yet to be established. But he's clearly said things to the House that were not true. The Prime Minister tells the truth. But even before this current move that the government has made towards privatisation, it had already made fairly strong interventions into how the channel is run. One of the strange things is that the government currently has an awful lot of control over Channel 4 because it owns the thing. So it can appoint people to the board. It has replaced some of the uh, perceived, for want of a better term, more, it's a horrible term to use, but more woke members of the board. Uh, people of colour. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, that's yeah. That, uh, that as well, with its own appointments. And it has tried to put its own people or people with close links to the Conservative Party on its board. What's strange is that they'd actually lose a lot of this control if they sold it off. Jim, the government says that because the broadcast landscape has completely transformed over the last decade with the rise of Netflix, Amazon and so on, that Channel 4 must become a commercial player in the market. 
But Channel 4 was the first to offer British viewers an online streaming service. It still remains the biggest free streaming platform in the country. And its shows are repeatedly bought and picked up and remade by those other platforms. Jim, can you make it make sense? Well, what I don't get about shouting at Channel 4 to be more like Netflix and Amazon is that Netflix and Amazon have tens of billions of debt. Amazon uses its streaming service basically as a loss leader to get you to sign up for free delivery. And it feels a bit like walking into sort of the back room at a pub, finding a local folk band and screaming at them, why aren't you selling out Wembley Arena? (laughs) And them going, well, it's it's not really what we do. We sort of play community venues. Why aren't you selling out Wembley Arena? It's sort of saying to one entirely different type of product, why are you not this other thing? You know, the money that is spent on a single series of The Crown would take up about a sixth of Channel 4's annual budget for programmes. Not in a million years could they compete with Netflix and, and Amazon in terms of spending, but in terms of being nimble and picking up little interesting projects and finding things that no one else would do. And to be honest, being distinctly British, which is a problematic term, but you can sometimes find yourself watching a Netflix show and be in that uncanny place of just feeling like knowing it was commissioned for a maximum global audience with any sort of sense of place or identity stripped out to make sure that... Could be anywhere. It would appeal to anywhere in the world. I mean, I know a lot of people love sex education. It's not really my cup of tea, but I found the episodes I watched so weird with that sort of, you're you're not really... Half American, half English. I'm like, that's that's Wales. Why, Why is it an American high school? And I am so proud that you are at this stage of your pubescent development. Okay, great. Can we please not talk about it? However, there is a time and a place for such a private activity. One of the biggest problems that Channel 4 has is that it becomes sort of something that people forget about. If you're a person who went home 10 years ago, you might slump on the sofa, turn on the telly, and it would be on BBC One, and then you'd flick up a couple of channels and it would be on Channel 4. So you'd flick through and you'd see what was on. Now if you go home and turn on TV, it's probably got five different boxes with Netflix, Now TV, Amazon, and then somewhere in the corner is a button for live TV, which you've got to seek out. So everything is sort of making you go, oh, just see what's on the Netflix homepage instead. And it doesn't necessarily draw you to all four, which is one of the sort of smaller streaming services. The real challenge for Channel 4 is how do you, in an environment where you can't force people to sort of look at your stuff, how do you make them watch it? Is there a credible argument, perhaps one that the government hasn't made, that could be made, that Channel 4 needs a push to stay competitive and that it risks just resting on a reputation that it built two decades ago? There's only one way that television viewing figures are going to go in the long run, and that's down. But there are still a lot of people who want to spend a lot of money on television advertising because it can reach audiences in a way that you just can't with a load of Facebook and YouTube ads. So that means that the core business might shrink in the long term, but it's not a terrible business for the next decade or so. And you've got all four being boosted. You've got clearly audiences for the stuff that they're commissioning. And the real question is, who wants to buy this thing? The weird thing is, there's not exactly a large number of people queuing up to buy Channel 4. Think of all the stuff that MPs are going to demand is put into the legislation that prioritises it. So... Channel 4 can be sold off on the condition that it produces a load of expensive news that runs in prime time. It produces a load of the stuff that Channel 4 currently does. It continues to invest in the regions. 
you basically end up describing something which is run on a not very commercial basis and therefore isn't very interesting to someone who wants to make a load of money out of it. Because the way that a private equity firm would come in is say, right, off with all this interesting stuff, on with the bake-off, we're just going to fill it with ratings hits and we're going to make a load of money and then and, and then keep it going. Channel 5 has done very well adopting a model a bit like that and chasing after older audiences who still watch TV and just want to watch endless shows about Yorkshire steam trains. With a few minutes to go, Piglet, Kieran and Big Boss Chris make their way onto the platform to witness the big moment. Coming up, if selling Channel 4 doesn't make any sense, will anyone stop it? Hello, Guardian columnist Jonathan Friedland here. I now have my own US politics podcast, which is, helpfully, called Politics Weekly America. So if you want to hear my interviews with politicians like Hillary Clinton or expert analysis from Guardian journalists and the latest news from Washington, D.C. and beyond, you should subscribe. To do that, just type Politics Weekly America into Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be there every Friday. Jim, Channel 4 was born in the Thatcher years, and we've talked about the story of the Conservatives' souring relationship with Channel 4 in recent years. Is there any kind of ideological clash within the Conservatives about this sale? Yes, absolutely. You've got the sort of more wet it's not really a term that's in use anymore, but Cameroon types who view it as the state supporting the private sector. When you were culture secretary, um, did you ever consider privatising Channel 4? Um, I didn't, um, and I'm not in favour of it. The idea of selling off British cultural assets, you know, when they're at no cost to the taxpayer and at the detriment to private businesses in this country. And you've got the sort of more Brexity headbangers who view it as a channel that has committed original sin with its very wokeness and therefore must be crushed as part of the ongoing culture war. Channel 4 is, 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 is clearly biased, unfortunately. So clearly anti-conservative, so clearly anti-Brexit, so clearly anti-Boris. And I honestly, I think the most are probably somewhere in the middle and could be persuaded either way. And so it all depends, really, whether all those Conservative MPs in the middle of the party who have never really had a strong opinion on the channel, are they going to are they going to care enough either way? Are they going to either buy the economic argument that this is good for my region mm. or are they going to go, well, Channel 4 News were rude to me once, so sucks to be them, but I'm going to privatise them? There are these dissenting voices like Ruth Davidson, Jeremy Hunt, Damien Green, and they're not the Conservatives who are currently holding any power. But what do you think this announcement tells us about the Conservatives who are and their view of public service broadcasting as a whole? Well, you've just had a government that's cut the BBC licence fee in real terms again. You've got them trying to privatise Channel 4 for reasons that seem slightly baffling even to most people who are pro it in principle. There is definitely an attempt to remake the media and a belief at the top of this government that the private sector can do a good or better or more ideologically friendly approach to it than the state-owned and state-backed BBC and Channel 4. The, at the same time, one of the 
strange things is that the government likes to kick the structures while also being very unhappy when they actually change their output. So the moment that they cut the BBC licence fee, that gets cheers from the Conservative backbenchers. The moment they actually remove some programmes on air to make those financial cuts, there are boos. And it's the same with Channel 4, that actually a surprising number of Conservative MPs would probably be upset if Channel 4 stopped doing a lot of the things that it did, mm. even if they were pro-privatisation. There's a sort of desire to have your cake and eat it. What do you think it would take to stop the privatisation of Channel 4? And do you think it will eventually go ahead? This is the sort of comment that you make on a podcast that comes back to haunt you in the years to come. Do I think Channel 4 privatisation will go ahead? At the moment, it's probably narrowly more likely than not in some form, but I would not be at all surprised if this just collapses somewhere on the route to happening because you've got a general election in about two years' time. Legislation is going to take about a year, maybe 18 months. The sell-off then would take some time. Are you really going to get that through before an election? Are you really going to have right on the eve of poll day a bid for Channel 4? The one thing I would say, though, is if it is sold off, that's probably it. The idea of Keir Starmer's Labour Party renationalising it seems pretty unlikely. So we've got something at the moment. We can argue about its benefits and whether it should be doing more of what it does or or changing how it does it. But at the moment, there's a quite weird, unique thing called Channel 4 that's owned by the state. And if it goes, you probably aren't going to get it back or anything like it back. And if there was a call to action to listeners who feel as passionately about Channel 4 as I do, what should they do? What can they do? Do they have any impact on something that is a publicly owned property to stop its sale? People love signing petitions. They do love signing petitions. They do love signing petitions. But the thing that really makes a difference is emailing your MP. And I'm a former political correspondent. And if you talk to MPs, it's amazing how much attention they give to looking at their inboxes. And if people are making reasoned cases that, I just don't really know why you're prioritising this, that's the sort of thing that MPs listen to. Jim, if Channel 4 was to be sold, how do you think we'd feel its loss? I'll, I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of live broadcast telly. And I think we've got to accept that viewing habits have changed. But what I do love about Channel 4 is the other day I logged into all four. I was so tired of Netflix and I just ended up binging a whole series of Stathlet's Flats just straight off. A bizarre sitcom about an incompetent estate agent in North London. Oh, I'm a right cherry. I've been using my own key for my flat. (laughs) Oh, bloody hell, silly Billy Awards. And it was so weird. It was so shonky. You could tell that the budget was, uh, you know, about seven pence. And it was just fun and 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 that's it i win the silly billy awards oh oh it's nice i can't imagine that there's any world in which netflix commissioner would have just given a punt to something silly and small like that and it's not necessary that you wouldn't end up with big budget dramas being made you would probably still have a lot of the sort of home renovation shows being made by someone It's the stuff around the edges that you wouldn't miss until it's gone. That's what you'd lose if Channel 4 went. Jim, thank you so much. Thank you. That was Jim Waterson. You can read his reporting on the latest at Channel 4 and more at theguardian.com. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Sammy Kent. Sound design is by Tony Onochuku. The executive producers are Mithley Rao and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow.
This is The Guardian.